What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas, coming to you ahead of the Titans NFL playoff divisional round matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to be taking a look at this game from every angle, and we are fired up to do it. I want to start with this. Before we get into the X's and O's, before we talk about individual players, I want to talk about this Titans team as a whole. Because, to me, leaving practice on Tuesday, and, and, and just knowing this team like I do right now, I feel as though this team is infinitely more equipped to have playoff success than they were in 2020, or than it was, rather, in 2020. In 2020, it felt like the Titans were leaking oil heading into the postseason. We knew the defense was really bad, though that ended up not being that that team's demise. This team just seems locked in. Like, every time Ryan Tannehill got asked a question today about, oh, you know, What's it like to have Julio back? What's it like to have Derrick Henry back? He's like, well, you know, it's great. We love having those guys back. 
But like, if we don't go do our job, who cares? And I also think that there's an element with this team where they're on a mission. And what I mean by that is, if you're a team that doesn't go to the playoffs very often or hasn't been in a long time, it can be very easy, I feel like, to have an attitude of, you know, we're just glad to be here. It's lots of fun. We get a t-shirt. We won the division. Cool. Get an extra paycheck. This Titans team doesn't care about any of that anymore. They've been to the playoffs uh, two years in a row. This is the third year. Uh, three, or excuse me, four out of the last five seasons, the Titans have been to the playoffs. They they don't care about making it there anymore. They're out to win a Super Bowl. And I think that's an emotional advantage. I asked Kevin Byron today, I said, is this whole thing a disappointment if you went, if, if it's anything less than a Super Bowl win? He said, in my opinion, yeah, yeah. This Titans team is on a mission, and that's an advantage. Yeah, it, it definitely does feel different this year. Um than 2020 at least 2019 was kind of just you know a, a, a spark that we didn't see coming um and then 2020 we thought they could replicate that success but it never felt good even throughout the regular season um the team never felt really confident uh in themselves probably just because the defense was so was so bad and we knew it was going to end up uh being their demise um surprisingly it actually wasn't in the playoffs the offense really just couldn't get um, anything going against the Ravens, but laid an egg. Yeah, it, but it, in addition to just the defense being so much better this year, um, like you said, like the team has a different aura about them, and they also they know what they have to do. Like they know they they wouldn't have, last year's team would have never got the one seed, um, especially given all the injuries that that this year's team has had to deal with. Um, they just seem different. Um, and I really hope they come out on Saturday ready to go. Um, I think they will. Um, get, given that extra extra week of rest, you're getting possibly Derrick Henry back. Um, that could be an emotional jolt in and of itself, in addition to just his um, presence and, and, and play um, being added. But yeah, th- th- this feels like a team that, that has grown up a little bit emotionally. Um, and I think they're going to come out ready to play because they've come out ready to play against every good to great team that that they've encountered this season. Yeah, and it feels like this is a team that has had questions all year long with people doubting them. And we, we talk about doubt a lot, but th- this feels like the first time they've had a chance to actually respond. Like every time they've been in a position to have a statement game, they've either had to have one hand tied behind their back with injuries or they completely destroy a team like uh, the Rams or they beat the, the the Saints for the majority of the game or they come back in the second half versus the 49ers. But there's always something to nitpick. Like we've talked before about how every win is because the other team messed up and every loss is because the Titans screwed up. So they're never, there's never an opportunity to give the Titans credit. And if there is, it, it disappears the same night they get it. So this is the chance for them to say, okay, you know, these games really matter. You know, we've, I don't think there's ever been a one seed in NFL history. Who's been so disrespected and it makes sense like that. I mean, they like, they never got respect during the season because people didn't watch. People don't don't know the players that are on the team, even though they should. So 
they're going to tune in and this is your chance to prove everybody wrong. Like in no way does this team, like you said, Luke, they, do they don't feel like they made it. I mean, they, they're still very much like doubted and not believed in. It's not like last year when you hit AJ Brown deep down the seam for a 50 yard pass and you kick a field goal that uh, doinks in. I think it made a double doink. I'm not sure. Uh, no, I think it just was single. Uh, but and then you win the AFC South for the first time in forever. And, you know, like you said, you get hats and, you know, T-shirts and all that. And everybody's excited. But, like, that was sort of the barrier. Like, that was the bar that they jumped that year. And everybody could kind of take a deep breath because they did what they ac- wanted to accomplish. And then, like you said, they laid an egg in the playoff. So this is very much a team that's driven by, like Kevin Byard said earlier, like, it's a Super Bowl or bust mentality. You know, I had a hard time last year calling that season a failure because that take was out there, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. But to your point, Will, they 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 got out of the nine and seven rut that they had been in for like four years. They won the division for the first time since '08. There were barriers that were crossed last year. And, and that is why I think it was a terribly disappointing end to the season, but I was not, as a writer, as, a, as an analyst, ready to say, well, this, this whole season was a disappointment and you should be ashamed, right? I wasn't ready to say that. If the Titans don't win, certainly this week, you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to go as far as what Bayard said. I don't know that... You know, me again as an as an analyst, and in this role that I'm in right now, would agree with that. You know, I, for example, if the Titans go to the AFC Championship and it's a hard fought game, and Patrick Mahomes makes a play at the end, right? I'm not going to sit there and say, "Well, this season was a failure because you know they just got outdueled in the end." But certainly, if this is a repeat of last year where the Titans lay an egg, and, and even if it's a close game in the divisional round, this season's a failure. And I said this on the A to Z postgame show after that Texans game in Week 17. The number one seed, I'm talking to you Titans fans, this is not an accomplishment in itself. You should not be buying, I don't, I don't think they sell them, but there should be no number one seed t-shirts, right? This isn't going in the Twitter bio. There's no number one seed banner. This is a setup. For the t-shirt and the banner that you really want. That's the whole point of the number one seed. It's not a trophy in itself. It's not an accomplishment in itself. It is a setup to make the real achievement, the real accomplishment, that much easier. And for the Titans to not win this week, for them to essentially let that advantage go by the wayside, then yeah, I would say the season is is a disappointment and a waste. Yeah, I, I would say so too. I, I think if they lose to the Bengals in, in whichever way, um, not to discredit the Bengals, like they're a really good team, they're very talented. Um, but the Titans are the one seed; they're playing against the four seed. They should handle their business. Um, and you need to get to the AFC Championship game. Giving getting the one seed is like it's just a huge advantage um, to get into the Super Bowl. All you have, all you have to do is win two games. Um, you won one. You're in the AFC Championship game. Like this is this is what should be expected. And especially going up against a Bengals team, I, I just said they are talented and they are a good team. They've proven that this entire season. Um, but they're also very young. 
they don't have a lot of playoff experience at all. The Titans have been in the playoffs each of the last two seasons. A lot of these same players have been in the playoffs before. They have that experience to come out flat or just to lose this game, I think would be a really big blow to the team's confidence going forward. But it would also, I agree, it it would be um, a failure of sorts. I don't think losing in the AFC championship game would be, especially given two of the teams that they would go up against the Bills and the Chiefs who have proven to be two of the best teams in the league, period. Like that would not be that would not be a failure, but losing in the divisional round after the season you've had and after everything you've done to get the one seed, that that would be a, a pretty big disappointment. Yeah, and the goal of this season is to you know they forever ago they said from good to great like that was the slogan and that like and they did they did great I think they went to the AFC Championship game that year so it's like. That's the same mentality, but it's much more tangible now. It's not like shoot for the moon, you know, hit the stars. Like it's you are right there on the cusp of being considered like your record and your resume will tell the story that you are a great team. All you have to do is continue to win. You have to win three more games to prove that you're the team that you've been telling everybody you are. And it's against people that you've beaten. So not the Bengals specifically, but the, 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 you know, whether it's the bills or the chiefs, like the, nobody is, nobody right now thinks that, you know, in the media that there's a vast talent gap between the Titans and the chief or in the, uh, Bengals one way or the other, like, but they think there is a big talent gap between the chiefs and the bills and the Titans and the, you know, the Bengals while they're in this category. So this is a chance for somebody to, whoever wins this game to go to the next game to the championship and take that recognition. And for the Titans, they've been trying to do it for two years and they've seen that the regular season is not enough. If you don't have postseason success, you are not going to get respect. So I think the Titans know that, you know, the players, the coaches, the front office, they know that if they don't win this game and Really, if they don't win the AFC Championship game against one of these two teams, it's going to be the same thing next year. You're going to get the same conversations, the same, can Derrick Henry do it again? What will this team look like without Derrick Henry? Like all the questions you get and none of the credit. And unless you win in the playoffs, then that's where you're going to be. And I think they're tired of it. So hopefully that motivates them and, you know, they keep their foot on the gas the entire time because. Like you said, it's not an accomplishment to get the one seed. That's something you earn based off of your record. The accomplishment is what happens at the end of the season, and Vrabel said this too, where you know, don't talk about the job we're doing currently. Save that for after the season until you know the full picture. Don't don't say, oh, well, this defense is much better than they were last year because if you go into the playoffs and you allow 50 points, then who cares? None of it mattered. So I think that is and I think that has to be the mentality. You know, I've, I've seen some people being like, well, the Titans beat all these teams. Like, I was just reading to you guys. I, I saw the stat. Titans were 8-3. and three, or They had eight wins against winning teams this season. That's an NFL record. And, and it's like, but they lost to the Texans. They lost to the Jets. They're so unpredictable. It's like, no, they're completely predictable. <laughs> you could feel both of those losses coming sort of from a mile away. I know I picked them to win the Jets, and I told everyone that – that that was a surefire thing, but you know I was sort of in the minority on that one. There were a lot of people that saw that one coming, 
and, and that's just who the Titans have been under Mike Vrabel. But now you're to the time of the year where who cares about that because you're only playing good teams. Let's talk a little bit about that good team that they're going to face this week. The Cincinnati Bengals led, of course, by quarterback Joe Burrow. And if I'm the Titans and I'm thinking about how I win this game, how I advance to the AFC Championship, it all starts with that guy. It all starts with Joe Burrow because there are few quarterbacks who play with the confidence and the swagger of Joe Burrow. And this isn't like, you know, cockiness doing dances swagger. This dude, for lack of a better term, is just a bad MFer. He just is. And objective number one for the Titans, I talked to Jeffrey Simmons a little bit about this today. Objective number one is make that dude uncomfortable. Because if Joey B is back there in the pocket untouched and throwing dots against this defense, good luck. Burrow's been playing the best ball of his career. Um, I, I think he started a little rusty this season, obviously coming um, coming off the, the injury. Um, what would do that to you? Um, but he finally looks like the Joe Burrow that we saw um, at L- LSU. He's been really good at evading pressure, um, scrambling, just getting different ways to to to, ex- to extend plays and, and get the ball to Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, even Uzoma. Um, and it, it's tough. It's tough. But I think the Titans are pretty well suited to actually contain him just because of the way that the Titans have been getting pressure. And that's just been with four guys um, who have been dominant this entire season um, and actually have some advanced analytics here. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about EPA per play, uh, but I feel like it, it does a pretty good job. Of, I love um, it. it. It is. It is a good stat. It, it's not a PFF big time throw thing. I was about um, to say it's um, not big time throws. It's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's real. This is like real quantifiable uh evidence. So a- anyway, um Joe Burrow against the Blitz has a 0.29 EPA per play against four rushers in a clean pocket 0.30 and against four rushers while he's getting pressured, it's down to minus 0.36. So I think that's a pretty, pretty clear indicator that the way to limit his impact is to get pressure with four pass rushers. And that's what the Titans have been so good at this entire season. So I just feel like the Titans are in a really good shape to limit um, a lot of those explosive plays that that he's been able to get. Like, I I do think the Bengals are going to put up a decent amount of points. I just don't think uh, the Titans are going to just be leaking big play after big play. um, Like a lot of these other defenses have been doing against the Bengals. Yeah, and so this is interesting. Uh, do you all know uh, how many games he went this year without being sacked? I, it's no, a I don't. I don't, thing, even so have I, assume now. I don't have a game. Can't be a lot. He's been it's only crushed. only once. Yeah, he like he's gotten sacked five or more times, and I believe five games this year. Like it, I think he's been sacked more than anybody else in the league. Like he's been getting crushed and. You know, part of that's on the offensive line, which is a big issue. But it's like, it, it, you know, like you said, like the Titans kind of set up perfectly on the defensive line versus the offensive line slash quarterback in that, like, you can get pressure against this line. And if you can get it with four guys and keep him from, 
you know, finding a deep target that he likes to challenge one-on-one, like, I mean, it could be pretty scary. Like, I would imagine they use a game plan similar to what they did with Kansas City and, you know, for for better or worse, treat Uzama like Kelsey and match him with Crookshank and then just, like, deal with it that way because, I mean, that would be dangerous. Like, so, I, I don't know. Like, it's hard because it's hard to not let recency bias about what Joe Burrow has done over the last couple of weeks when he's played and not seeing the Titans last week. Like it's hard to kind of stay even keel with it all. But at the same time, like when this defensive line seems to want to attack and pressure, which isn't like that, it's not something they do week in and week out. Sometimes they play, you know, they want to stay in their lanes. They want to make sure that nobody gets out of the pocket. They want to get their hands up for passes. But when they really want to pin their ears back like they did against Stafford, like they can absolutely hunt some guys down. So I'm interested to see what they do because Burrow can move. But man, I mean, this feels like a game where you really don't want to just sit back and let him try to find somebody he can hit deep. Like you want to put pressure on him. And even if he doesn't turn it over, you don't want him finding those deep shots early. Uh, To me, the most impressive stat that I've seen about Burrow in this offense actually came from Mike Vrabel. He brought up that they haven't had a turnover in five games. That's like the Titans fever dream. They would yeah, never have. We, they would never go that long. No, they're not used to uh, holding onto the ball. But um, I mean, yeah, turnovers would be would be key in this game, uh, especially if one of those sacks just gets home and you can actually, you know, jar the ball out like that. Yeah, that's just a huge momentum changer, especially in the playoffs. I think if we look at you know, because there have been a lot of Bengals fans who are like throwing out last year's game as a. Well, we did it last year, and both of these teams are just so substantially different from then. Vrabel even brought up today that it's like you want to puke going back watching last year's Titans-Bengals game. I think the biggest reason this team has transformed the Bengals going from picking fourth to playing in the divisional round of the playoffs is, number one, Jamar Chase. And in just one moment, we're going to talk about what the Titans can do to try to get a wrap on this guy because in his first year in the league, over 1,400 receiving yards, he was a problem for the Raiders in the wild card round. We're going to talk about how the Titans can avoid that happening to them in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Jamar Chase, guys, what do you do? Because the Titans don't travel cornerbacks typically. It happens, you know, in parts of games occasionally, but as a whole, they play sides. It's Jenkins, it's Molden, and it's Fulton. Fulton, who, by the way, was childhood friends with Jamar Chase. What do you do? What's the strategy here? I don't know. And I don't think any defensive coordinator has been able to figure it out uh, really this entire season. Me personally, I would like Fulton to be on him 24-7, but like you said, the Titans really don't um, care to do that all that much. I just I just want them to eliminate the big plays. Like, And I know it's difficult, but as long as he doesn't get over the top of you, like he, he can still break the game open just because he's so good on even those shorter routes, those slant routes. 
Um, he's so good after the catch that he's really hard to tackle. Um, and he could break a big play, but it's getting behind the defense that would really, that would really, you know, hurt the tight ends, and they would it would probably demoralize them um, because you then start getting into your own head as the game goes on. Um, and as we've seen with Jamar Chase, like if he does it once, he can do it again, even within the same game. Um, so it's difficult. I personally would like to see Christian Fulton just shadow him. Uh, like we've talked about, like he knows him, he he's known him for a while. Um, and I think that does play a little bit of a factor. He'll probably play. They both will play with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, but Fulton has been so good this year that I, I think if the defensive, if the defensive coaches go that route, I think Fulton will, um, come through for them. We'll see. We'll see what they come up with. Yeah, I think the worst, like, not not to go completely counter to y'all, but I think the worst thing they could do is pay him any special attention. And I know that sounds crazy, but the problem is you've got T. Higgins on the other side. Like, it's not like you just have, like, a nobody, and you've got Tyler Boyd, and they've got Uzama. So the, if you're going to tilt your coverage, they've got players that can beat that. So in that case, just play your game. I mean, we just saw them play the 49ers, and the 49ers had Kittle, uh, Debo Samuel, and Ayuk, who tear everybody else up too. Like, just play, you know, what has gotten them this far is a good four-man rush and good communication with the defensive backs and the linebackers. So throwing something in and changing that the week of in the playoffs seems like a bad idea. Just play your game, do what's worked all season, don't try to get too cute or anything like that. Just do what you've done against. I mean, like, I mean, it maybe, and maybe it doesn't keep the uh, keep. Let's say, uh, let's say they shut Chase down to sixty yards, and T. Higgins gets ninety yards. Like that's fine. Like what you don't want is to change, and then they gash you for an eighty-yard touchdown or a sixty-yard touchdown on one play. Like. You're fine if they accumulate yards over the course of the game. Like that's just what's going to happen. You've got to be willing to, you know, not bend but don't break, but at the same time not if you don't stop them from getting a yard, they're going to explode and kill you. Like just play your game, leave your guys where they are, especially because Jenkins has been doing great recently. Like we don't talk about it because he was so bad early in the season. It's kind of the Malcolm Butler thing, but it's like he since he came back from his injury and Fulton on their sides doing how they've been doing and then Molden slash Buster Screen in the slot, that's been good enough to match up with some pretty talented groups of receivers. So I, I say just play it like that, deal with it like you've always dealt with it, and then if you need to make an in-game adjustment, tilt your coverage one way or another, but know that you've been, you know, nothing on the defense is broken right now. So don't try to get ahead of it and break something when what you've been doing works. What can't happen, because I'm kind of with you there, Will, although be willing to adjust perhaps if that doesn't work at first. If we see the return of the weenie defense this week, I swear on everything that is good and holy. If we see them lining up on third and two, ten yards off, they deserve to lose this game. And we haven't seen that in a while. That hadn't been a criticism of this team in a while. But if they look at Chase and Higgins and Boyd and Mixon 
and they say, you know, we're just going to keep them from torching us deep, and they're not willing to go play physical coverage, then end the season now. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, I I don't think they will. I I don't think they will revert to that. Um, And I really hope they don't just because they've played such great defense for um, the majority of the season. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see them because I I, I don't want to keep going back to the the last season, but the defense was just so awful. And and the improvement that they've had this year um, with all the new players and, and the new scheme, uh, they've been playing so well, just so quick. Um, and and here's, here's, the ball. here's something interesting on that, because what was the one word that kept coming up last year when these players would get asked, what's the problem? Why is the defense so bad? What was the one word? Right. Communication, right? <laughs> <laughs> Communication, <laughs> Will, though, yeah. Will is incorrect. Communication was the word. <laughs> Today, Gentry Estes from the Tennessean asks Jeffrey Simmons, you know, what do you think has been the key to the success you guys have had as a pass rush this year? Well, I think we're just great communicators, right? It's just been a total flip of everything from last year. The production is different, but also everyone was just lost last year, and now they're in sync, like you're saying, Matthias. Yeah, and yeah, in sync is probably the best way to put it. Um I think the the game where they had maybe the most um, issues was <laughs> surprisingly the last game against the Texans. Um, but a lot of that just seemed like Danny Amendola went supernova on Elijah Molden, which was just so weird and so what? crazy. But it, it was it was super super weird. But even like the first half was the defense was amazing and just like they had been for almost every game this whole season. So. I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to play well. Uh, I think they match up well. Um, like even Elijah Molden, who's had some struggles with faster receivers throughout this year, like Tyler Lockett, um, and apparently uh, revamped Danny Amendola. Like Tyler Boyd is not too quick, and I think that's actually a good matchup for Molden. Um, they're just good matchups all around, I would say, on the defensive end. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see them, and I think they're they're going to play well. Yeah, and also, I, I don't know how much it affects a team from Cincinnati. It just affects teams in general, but it's going to be cold. Like, it's going to be a sub-freezing temperature game on the road, Like, and it should be a loud, hostile environment. So there is something to be said about trying to communicate for the Bengals' offense and deal with that when, you know, not like I said, not that they haven't dealt with the cold, but all those factors at the same time and dealing with Jeffrey Simmons murdering your right guard over and over and over again. Like that, that's going to be a problem in and of itself. So that's why I'm like, don't, don't give your, ch- give yourself a chance to screw up by changing your game plan completely. Like do what you know and do what you do well, because I mean, this is the same defense that they employed when they didn't have Derek Henry on the other side and they went against the Rams and Cooper cup. Like, Cooper Cup was phenomenal this year, but because the pass rush was so good and the coverage was solid enough on the back end, like that he didn't tear them apart. Like that it's the same thing with uh and then Robert Woods in this scenario would be the T. Higgins substitute. But like that that's the thing, is like this is a team that knows how to deal with adversity and knows how to deal with difficult opponents. Like 
I, I would, as crazy as it sounds, I do trust them as long as Rabel doesn't do what he did in the Kansas City game a few years ago and take the reins away from the defensive coordinator and start calling things himself. I had something else. I had no idea. Probably just telling me what good points the, I made. I could jump in. I think the front four is going to feast, honestly. Like, the Bengals' O-line is is it's not good. It's not good. And it's been their weakest point, um, I would say. And it really hasn't gotten better. Um, the Raiders, you know, with Max Crosby. Max Crosby actually didn't get too much pressure, but he had a couple of... No, he did great. Like he, he, like, did he? I can't yeah, remember. so the weird thing is, is they, like, didn't play Crosby very much early. Like, they played Nassib, which they play a lot, but I think people were just like, there's the big white defensive end, and I'm like, no, that's not Crosby. And then they put Crosby in, and he looks like he's got two buzzsaws for arms, and he just rips through the offensive line. Like, where they really got him is... They would run tackle, defensive tackle in stunts on that right side, and they would just let either Crosby or the defensive tackle find an edge and really just attack that edge and get into the backfield, and then it would mess everything up. Like That's why I think the Bengals scored six points in the second half. Like They could, couldn't do anything. No, they Nothing. like— they're like the opposite of the Titans defensive backs. Like they don't communicate and they don't pass off stunts. Well, which is why I'm like, great. Like that, you know, if you have Autry and, you know, Simmons and Dupree and Landry, and you've got those four moving and intertwining against a, an offensive line that doesn't communicate well, that's perfect. Now, again, like we've said before, if they sit back and play, soft coverage and don't want to get beat deep and then don't really attack and rush the pocket, then that's where you're going to get in trouble. But if they do what they've done in some past games with their twists and stunts, like, I mean, they'll, they'll get a couple of really good looks. Will you bring up the temperature for Saturday? High of 37, low of 18. I would yeah, imagine the that it would, the game will start toward that 37 mark. About 3.30 p.m., and then by 5.30 when it's over and the sun's gone, it'll start creeping toward that 18 figure. Yeah, I, I would bet I'm walking over the bridge at 24 or 22. Like, I mean, it, by the time the game is over, it is going to be cold. Because, I mean, it gets cold next to that water. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just, it's no joke. So, uh, I mean, it's it's interesting, like... You know, it's interesting to see what kind of game the Bengals want this to be because they've got Mixon. Like, they've got a good running back if they choose to go that way. I don't think they're going to want to run against the number one playoff rush defense, you know, on either side, but maybe they would. Don't, do not underestimate Zach Taylor. He loves running the ball when they really should not be running the ball. It's kind of been a theme uh, this year, and only recently have they actually let Burrow, like, rip it consistently and kind of abandoned the running game. But even in the Raiders game, like they gave Mixon 17 carries. He averaged, I don't, what was it? Like 2.8 yards per attempt. Like that's a disaster. And that's against the Raiders who have been not a good run defense team uh, throughout this year. So I don't know, like we'll, we'll see, we'll see how Zach Taylor wants to attack it. But Zach Taylor is a little, He's a little green also. He's he's a little young and inexperienced, and he's had occasions where, you know, he, people just don't see eye-to-eye eye with a lot of the decisions he makes. We've talked a lot about Bengals offense versus Titans defense. Let's flip it now. 
Let's talk about the Titans offense. And I want to start with Derrick Henry because that's the story going into this game. If you ask any reporter, local, national, whatever, what is the headline of this game from a Titans perspective? It is the return of the best running back in the NFL, Derrick Henry. And we're going to talk about what expectations should be for Derrick Henry in just one moment. You're listening to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Derrick Henry's going to be back this week, guys. I, I, I keep getting texts from, from friends and stuff. It's like, is Derrick going to play? It's like, yes, Derrick Henry's going to play in this game. We, we've talked over and over again about a bone injury versus a tissue or a muscle and what that means and the implications of that. This guy's going to play. What are the expectations for him? Is it going to be picking up where he left off? Is there going to be rust to knock off? What do we think? My expectation is 30 carries for 200 (laughs) yards. Uh, I feel like that's what everyone is just expecting. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm a little, I'm going to temper my expectations. Um, I do think there's going to be a little bit of rust. um, But I think he's going to do well. Like He's Derrick Henry. And I don't think... Uh, we can expect too little of him, uh, given everything we've seen over the past uh, few seasons. I think he's going to do well. It's a good matchup for him. The Titans, the Titans have gotten even better as a run blocking team since he since he got injured. They've really been opening holes for just about anyone. Um, and the Bengals' run defense is is a little suspect. Like their linebackers aren't bad. Um, and they were actually ranked as one of the better run defenses throughout the regular season. But in that game against the Raiders, Josh Jacobs was was playing really well. He averaged over six yards a carry. Um, and if they play like that again, uh, especially in the cold at home against possibly uh, Derrick Henry, you know, like fully healthy and fresh, that could be a recipe for disaster for the Bengals. Yeah. Not- titans <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so i have written down like a projection like or kind of an over under to me 25 touches 130 total yards and one and a half touchdowns like that feels like conservative enough because it's just over five yards a carry it's or five yards a touch sorry um because i expect he gets a pass or something but that's just over five yards a touch it's not asking a lot the total touches seems like a lot, but he was also carrying like 40 times a game before he got hurt. So, and also he's the healthiest person on the roster, just I guess among the running backs. So like he's your healthiest, he's your most talented. He's the most fit for this game plan. He's your, you know, he's your most explosive. Why wouldn't you try to get him touches as many times as you can, especially if it's just a pain tolerance thing and, you know, it, he played with a broken bone like the first time. So I'm, if it's just soreness, then I'm assuming he's going to be able to play and play well. So that that feels like a good stat line to me. What do y'all think? Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I still want those uh, that 200-yard game, but uh, I might be expecting too much. <laughs> yeah, like so. My thing is, I like. I think there's one of two ways this can go. He can either plug along and do average and consistent, you know, four to six yards a carry like the whole game, or he's going to pop one early, explode for like 60 yards, and then they're going to really like peel back and do the whole Julio Jones, A.J. Brown snap count thing. Like where if it's like, okay, we've seen your explosive, we're going to try to like manage and get through so you're ready for the next game. Like I, I, I know it's kind of a smoke em if you got him game, but at the same time, I just I don't think Vrabel can help himself because I don't think he wants Henry to get hurt again. So that that's my sort of uh, projection on the two ways it could go. I, I just, I don't know. Like, each of the last few seasons, it has taken him less time to get into a groove. A few years ago, it took like, you know, till week 12. Then the year after that, it was like the first half of the season was just kind of all right. Second half was outstanding. Then the 2,000-yard season, he was just sort of average for the first four weeks, and then he really kicked it into gear. This year, he got very little opportunities against the Cardinals in that disaster loss. And in week two and onward, it was the Derrick Henry we know. So, that being said, I don't know why anyone would think that it's going to take him a lot of time to like get back into a groove. You know, keep this is not a situation where we're talking about him trusting the foot, you know. That's not what this injury is. He's gonna go out, he's gonna run a football. And for all these people saying, give Deontay Foreman ten carries to soften the load, just stop. Derrick Henry is so good. Every time he touches the ball, regardless of the blocking in front of him, it is a threat for a touchdown. The same cannot be said about Deontay Foreman. Derrick Henry's going to go out there, and he's going to be as successful as the number of carries he's given. We are not let me going say to, this. Let, let, me, let me finish go this ahead. one thought. Go ahead. We are not going to, at the end of this game, say, well, you know, Derrick Henry just wasn't quite himself maybe next week. What we're going to be saying is either... Man, that's the Derrick Henry we remember. Or, man, they didn't give him enough opportunities. He will be as good as the opportunities he's given. So, my question is, do they treat him like A.J. Brown, or do they treat him like Jeffrey Simmons? Because A.J. Brown and any receiver that has ever played in Tennessee under Vrabel has rotated out heavily. It doesn't matter, like not so much that they don't get the majority of the snaps, but enough to where they get twenty percent of the snaps off. So that that is how they've treated skill position players historically. Uh, the difference is Jeffrey Simmons plays ninety five percent of the snaps. Like I mean, he like he's that's probably a little too high, but he's always in there. And they, I mean, Vrabel loves him. I mean, if there's, you know, if there's one pick that Robinson and Vrabel made together that they were just over the moon about, it was Simmons because, like, they they rave about him, they love him, they appreciate his work ethic, and he goes out there and, you know, he's chasing down screens at 315 pounds, and the next play he gets in the backfield and gets a tackle for loss. Like, so, do they, you know, which one of those guys are they going to treat him like? 
I don't know. Is it? Are we talking about like snaps or touches? Because I, I think snaps in general. Because we know he's going to get third. Like he's going to get third downs off because Hilliard's going to get yeah. that. It's going to be just like it was with McNichols. I really think maybe you see a little bit more of Foreman than we would see with yeah. McNichols, but it's still going to be Derrick Henry. And then you know if it's third and eight, it's going to be third. And we used to say third and McNichols. Now we say third and Hilliard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd say probably like sixty to sixty-five percent of the snaps. I think that's a pretty. Do you agree with that? I, I don't know. Like I truly you said because I don't understand. Sixty to sixty-five. Yeah, his yeah, normal I'd, I'd is hit like the over on seventy-five. That. I'd I hit think. the over. I feel like well, Foreman's going to get more carries than we think. Than we <laughs> I like. I don't I, agree I, with I, it. I kind of. I'm with you there. The move is, and this is something that is very in Downing's wheelhouse, is to have them go out in a wildcat. Is to have both of those guys out there uh, and have Foreman like that's like that's what they I, they did it. They did it before. That's how he got his passing touchdown. Like that. Like they love to do all that like cutesy stuff. Like and they love to put Derrick Henry in the wildcat anyway. So put Derrick Henry in the wildcat with Foreman and then do whatever you're going to do. But I mean, they, they love putting him in the wildcat. Yeah. I don't know about putting him and Foreman both back there. Well, who else are they going to put back there? Just him. I mean, I guess like they always, they usually have somebody run in motion or somebody do something. So I mean, maybe they'll have Hilliard it, in motion. He's it, played some slot, but it about time they throw to Tannehill. He's always open. Like, I mean, you could, although the problem is like, when Henry throws it, he generally hits his target. So it's hard to say it's not working, but you would, you would think, or run Tannehill in motion. Like that's what I'd be doing because I don't think they're going to follow Tannehill in motion necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. Just give like just the inverse of like the read option that they do. You know, what does need to be thrown in the wastebasket is the AJ Brown pass play. They've called that two or three times, and every time it has been a disaster. They've called it at weird times also. <laughs> Downing um, is so weird about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there was one that he just hucked out of bounds because it was just very obvious and no one bit. And then the second one, wasn't he nearly, he was nearly picked. It, like, hit the ground. I want to say through to NWI. Yeah. Was it was that against the Niners? Was it the Niners game? Yes. Yeah, uh, right. Was it the Niners or the Dolphins? I can't remember. I can't remember actually. I want to say Dolphins. It definitely sucked. Like it was <laughs> yeah, it terrible. Wasn't what I wanted. To <laughs> yeah. Like, and also remember he did that stupid thing where he had like he did that dumb formation that high school coaches do where it's like. Here's four offensive linemen on both sides of the ball. Oh, like, gosh, I hate like, that. Like, he does that in the middle. That's why I'm like, at least with Henry and the Wildcat, like, he can point to it and tell Frable that look how creative and smart he is without completely ruining a drive. But, like, I I, I can't stand watching him just be like, all right, let's do something completely stupid. Because those <laughs> plays really don't work. Like, the plays that he comes up with that are different don't work. Like, the the uh, wildcat pass is something that he took from Arthur Smith, like verbatim. So it's like, the, I mean, because it was instead of to uh, 
Corey Davis, it was to uh, uh, Michael Pruitt. Like, so it's like it, it's like that's already in the playbook. But the things where he's like, "Look how creative and clever I am," it's like uh, incomplete, like almost a turnover every time. All off season, from when t- the Titans traded for Julio Jones through training camp to when the season starts, all we heard was this whole idea of a pick-your-poison offense, right? Where you've got Julio Jones and A.J. Brown out wide, and you can't really double one of them because if you do that, you leave the other one in single coverage and you're going to get killed. Oh, and by the way, if you focus too much on the passing game, the best running back in the NFL is going to eat you alive. And then the season started, and we didn't really see that. There were some games where, you know, maybe one of them had had some stuff going, like Seattle, Julio was great. AJ had that three or four game stretch where he was outstanding. But it really wasn't until that Kansas City game, and that was, let's see, I'm looking at the schedule, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was week seven. Like October 24th or something? Yeah, October 18th. It, oh, or excuse me, 24th. Week eight. Yeah, I just totally miscounted that. Week eight, October 24th, Titans-Chiefs. That was the first time we saw it. That was the column I wrote after the game. We finally saw the picker-poison offense. Julio Jones contributed. A.J. Brown contributed. Derrick Henry contributed. The Chiefs crept up so much to stop Henry that it left Brown and Jones in single coverage, and Tannehill had a great game, and the Titans kicked the you-know-what out of the Chiefs. And then one week later, Derrick Henry gets hurt, and that was all she wrote for the pick-your-poison offense. The players of that offense, of that concept, are going to be out there this week. Will we see the effect of that? Will the pick-your-poison offense be out there? Or, regardless of the what you think the final result of the game is going to be, are we again going to be disappointed in this Titans offense and it's going to be like that, that gif where the little stick figure has the stick and he's poking it and it says, do something. Um, yeah, great meme. I, I love it. Um, and I, we don't know because Todd Downing is very prone to, you know, um, not doing what he should and what we think, um, would work, but yeah, I mean, Henry should be fresh, should be the healthiest he's been since, you know, he was playing. Um, Julio also, I think is probably the healthiest he's been probably, all season, maybe except for week one, and even week one, he he looked he he didn't look all there. AJ Brown has dealt with a lot of injuries, but he finally looks healthy. Um, and they're all going to be on the field. Nick Westbrook Aquina has really stepped up. I think he's improved a lot over the course of the season. Ferkser has fr- finally um, gotten his stuff together and is finally looking like the tight end um, that we thought he could be. I I think the Titans offense should put up a lot of points in this game. Like the Bengals defense isn't exactly intimidating. And given the talent that the Titans have, given how sharp Tannehill has been recently, given how healthy pretty much uh, everyone is. um, And we're hoping uh, they will be like the Titans offense should put up at least, you know, 27, uh, 30 points. But we always have to come back to the fact that we don't totally agree with everything downing, uh, does and has done this season, and, and that could hold them back. But theoretically, yes, like they should put up a lot of points. 
Yeah, and I don't mean to be a jerk about it, but there's zero percent chance that Downing has changed his ways and he's going to call effective scripted plays. Like, so you got to think like, what can you do with three quarters of football? Because that's kind of what the offense actually gets. See, and and that's that's what I'm going back to, and I'm writing this uh, either Wednesday or Thursday. I haven't decided yet, but. They gotta snap out of that. And, and, and Will, I don't know that you're wrong in saying that they won't, but I don't see a path to the Super Bowl, or at least well, to, to mean, winning the Super Bowl, if they can't go a quarter. I mean, I asked Vrabel today for this article about you know the margin of error in the playoffs being so small, and he talked about every play matters, and and he brought up. The Raiders going from third and one to third and six because of a false start, and that led to a strip sack instead of an easy run for a first down. And you never know which play is going to change the outcome of a game. It's like, how can you have that attitude and then also sit back and be like, hey, we just won't score for a quarter. Woo! And and you know what gets me? One more thing, Will, is I've mm-hmm. asked, I've asked Tannehill and Downing and someone else, I can't remember who else, Probably a couple others too. But every time I ask that question of why, why are the slow starts happening, it's always the same answer. Well, we're yeah. it, we're inefficient. We're getting behind the chain. Yeah. So why? I, I, I almost want to follow up and say, okay, so why is that happening? Why can't you stop doing that? The problem is you ask the right question and they don't answer the question you ask because I heard I heard you say it today. And they base, I mean, because I think you had, like, I think you said it to Tannehill, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, because his his response was basically like, "We got to make plays when we're there. We got to do better. We got to like, cl-. like he's basically saying like, fit, like we got to make plays and do all that." But the question you're asking isn't what is the game plan going into it. The question is, why has that game plan not worked for the previous yeah. eighteen weeks? And nobody addresses that. And like. That you know, the problem is you can just say, "Oh, well, you know, we were going to hit a big play like to Julio, but then we got, you know, then there was a sack." Yeah. And you <laughs> I almost brought thing. that up, but then that's like the one example. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like it's like they have like that in their back pocket because they they always say like there's sometimes when we have things set up and for whatever reason we just aren't leaving, able to get them there, leaving meat on the bone, missed opportunities. Yeah, and, and it's like Vrabel talked about, you know, you want to reserve the right to punt on fourth down, which is a good phrase, but talking about turnovers, like in why you don't want to necessarily take shots and why Tannehill's doing better, you know, at possessing the ball and why they haven't had a turnover in three games or whatever. But yeah, like that's the problem. Like, and you know, you said, I don't see how they can get to the Super Bowl, but the problem is like they, they had like, they've beaten the chiefs like that. They've beaten the bills like that. So no, they scored a touchdown on an opening drive against the Chiefs. Well, but it, you're right. But what I'm saying is, like, using this, like, they didn't have to change for that game. They didn't do anything different. It just worked. So, you know, because I think that was the opening drive where they hit two, like, deep shots to uh, AJ, right? Like, there was one on the sideline that they were they, intermediate. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, like, 15 and, to 20 and, yards. And then or something I think like that. it ended in a fade touchdown, I want to say. Yeah. It, yeah. It was like a long fade touchdown. And then there was that catch that they said was incomplete, that it was bobbled, but then they called it back. And there they. That's said a different drive. It, it was that was a game. different drive. Oh, okay. Got you. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, the point is, like, this mentality has gotten them to 
eight wins against, you know, 10 or against winning teams. You know, it's like, so they, they know there's a problem with it, but not enough to like actually focus and change like that. They say they want to get better, but through this, we've seen that they really like don't know how to fix this and they're not going to learn. But like, like I said, the good news, bad news of that is, well, you have actually been able to overcome it and win. And in large part, that's because the defense has been so good. But yeah, it, it's certainly an aggravating trend that I fully expect to continue. Yeah. You know, what could also uh, alleviate some of those uh, first couple of drive concerns, Tara Henry, just uh, popping a long run. That's, like that's, that's it. That's a great it's, point. But, it's that but, easy. but I, you know, and I was about to say that too, but you know what I'm, I'm, I'm watching in my head right now. First play of the game, inside zone at right guard, loss of one, second 11. I mean, I can just see yep. it right now. Yep. I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's the annoying part. Like, in, in you're right. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, the thing is, like, if they're ever going to break out of it, like we talked about in the Kansas City game and all like that, like, you need superstars and you need talented players to transcend bad play calls. So like, run a crosser with AJ and get him the ball. And at worst, it's a three yard gain. And at best, it's a touchdown. Yeah, uh, sure. Like r- just run a slant. I mean, just, you know, like set those guys. You know, what's weird early in the season. There were these plays on like third and fourth down that were like creative pick plays with Julio and AJ Brown. Like, I cannot remember what game it was. Maybe Indianapolis, like maybe it was Buffalo, but like they were in, it was like on the 40 yard line and they used this like really cool pick play to get uh, Julio open for like a 12 yard catch and a first down on fourth and one. Like there were these really good concepts and then they just completely disappeared. And like, they don't do those things anymore and maybe they're, they're still somewhere in the playbook and the extra week is giving them a chance to dust those off. Or maybe they said, Hey, why don't we try to use this one route? That's always worked for AJ and Julio. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it, it seems like they should have been able to figure it out, but I've seen this happen so many times before. I just can't convince myself, but yeah, like Matias, you're right. Like, you know, what helps is if you call a really bad, like, play that should get one yard but it turns out Derrick Henry bends it back the other way cuts up field and gets 25 yards off of it and then all of a sudden you get a whole new set of opportunities and you're you're you know in position to do something anything else on Titans offense versus Bengals defense I mean we Tory Carter <laughs> Tory Carter uh, might be back yeah yeah like Tory Carter practicing uh Somebody follows me. Uh, I don't know if it's his dad or it, it's some family member with last name Carter. And uh, he said he was ready to Gata uh, in all caps. So, like, Gata? that's good. Uh, I can't say it on the podcast for uh, get after that butt. Um, oh, okay. But that's Gatab, so it doesn't really translate as I well. So I, I didn't connect is, that that was an acronym. I just heard, like, yeah. I thought, like, is that, uh, like, southern for gator like i I, yeah i have i have a weird time where i just get a cajun accent sometimes when i talk just when i say gator uh but yeah go to lsu that is true uh so yeah like i fully expect him to be back just based off of that alone but he's awesome it is funny i remember when i was talking to greg mcmahon who's the special teams coach at lsu about racy mcmath after the draft, I was doing a story on Racy, and 
we're talking about Racy McMath, and, he, and at one point he stops. And he goes, now, there is one other guy I want to tell you about. The Titans just signed. His name's Torrey Carter. He's a fullback. And I'm telling you, that guy's going to be good. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let's get back to Racy McMath. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> yeah, like, it, legitimately, he's one of, like, I I watch him. Like, I, I usually watch offensive line when the ball snapped. I just watch Torrey Carter when he's on the field. Like, it's he's so funny. Like, he'll do, like, cartwheels over people after he pancakes them. And, like, he'll do, like, he does all these funny things where he'll just, like, he'll get up after he messes with somebody and then he'll pretend to, like, get like helmet to helmet like the old like Jalen Ramsey, but he does it like after he like runs him over or like hits him late. It's it's so funny. Um but, you know, we've spent most of this time talking about the Titans offense focused on the we, we really haven't even talked about Tannehill, but we we've talked about these three skill guys, Brown, Jones, and Henry. And I think that's the correct allocation of the time we have because I think that's who it's gonna come down to. If the Titans won a Super Bowl, those are the three guys we're going to be talking about. And, and Tannehill, of course, too. Well, we, we've talked about Tannehill at nauseam. We, we know who he is and who he's not. But, but that's who it's going to come down to. And Tannehill needs to play well. Tannehill really hasn't had a great playoff performance yet for the Titans. Now, two of those were wins in which he was not needed. Tannehill's 2-2 two and two in a playoffs with the Titans. And in those two wins, he wasn't needed. They just went out and ran the football. But against the Chiefs, he, he couldn't elevate to the level he needed to, and he laid an egg against the Ravens last year, so Ryan Tannehill certainly was something to prove, I think, right? Yeah, but also in that Ravens game, the receivers were a disaster. Like, everyone was injured. Um, He was throwing to Khalif Raymond, like, consistently. Um, So, I don't know. He didn't play well, obviously. Um, And like you said, he really wasn't needed in 2019 just because Henry was carrying um the offense but i mean i would love to see him come out and and play well and and i think he will like he he's been he finished the season pretty strong um and he's finally has um his guys around him like henry will be back julio and aj brown are healthy um nick like i said westbrook akina has been playing well ferkser has been playing well um jeff swaim is fine you know (laughs) um so i think I think he's going to play well, um, and, and I do think they they will need that. I don't see a disaster coming like in that Texans game uh, or in some of the other games uh, that we've seen this season where he's turning the ball over um, too much and just isn't making the right reads. I, I don't see that. Um, I could see him coming out hot and, and playing a good game. Yeah, like he, he just came off a four-touchdown, zero-interception game where, you know, that he basically had to spin out of a sack and, you know, pick himself off up off the ground, like without touching the ground and hit that big play. So, I mean, he's playing some of his best football now and that's just with, you know, Julio and AJ, back. I shouldn't just say just, but like that's with AJ and Julio back. You have to assume it's going to get better when Henry comes back and it's already at a high level. So I think you're right in saying that we've talked like we've talked about Tannehill because he's been available all season. Like that's the thing is it's like he's it, been a available lot of these guys since we he got here. Yeah, so it's like it, you know we hadn't had to talk about other guys. You know we we spent time talking about him because we didn't want to talk about Des Fitzpatrick or Nick Westbrook Akina. <laughs> like Des, you know it, Des Fitzpatrick, who by the way in practice today was wearing the jersey number one to be Jamar Chase for the show team. 
Now I didn't comment on this on Twitter. I just I just put out the video with you know what I just said. That's with Patrick wearing number one. Man, quote tweets. Just great stuff. If you're listening and you were one of those who responded or quote tweeted, just hilarious. I feel bad for him. So I saw someone. One of the best ones I saw was it said, uh, "We have Jamar Chase at home." Oh yeah, the Jamar Chase you have at home, and, <laughs> and it said, uh, uh, "Jamar Chase is Coke. Des Fitzpatrick is Bubba Cola." Just great. Great Leave stuff. this man alone catching catching strays for no reason. Like he's just trying to help out the team. And like, what if what do y'all want us to just have a Jamar Chase on, hey. on the practice squad? Hey man, this Fitzpatrick had more uh, college receiving yards than Jamar Chase. So did he really? Right, baby, he's, volume, well, yeah. baby. Oh he yeah, four, four years versus <laughs> probably two. Oh my goodness. To be fair, he didn't have Joe Burrow. He no. had Lamar Jackson for one year. Sure, bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's it's we have reached that time, and it's time for stop the nonsense. We will get to that in just one second. You're listening to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. Okay, time for stop the nonsense. I've got mine, so I'm going to go ahead and start. I actually had something else in mind all throughout the week, and to be honest, I don't remember what it was. I wrote it down. If, if during a week I think of a stop the nonsense, I write it down. I don't remember where I wrote it down. But it's great because I'm standing in line to get dinner tonight, and, and just the, the, the greatest gift given to me by the Twitter gods um, for stop the nonsense. Did you all hear what Darren Ravel said? That was yeah. going to be my stop the nonsense. All right, yeah, well, I, was, I was afraid to say it, but y'all go ahead. Let's tag team this. So Darren Ravel, I don't know if he did this on Martin Luther King Day or if he did it on Tuesday, but he does a Twitter space, which if you don't know what that is, it's where it, it's basically like a, a Zoom call where everyone but like the host is muted and you know two people can have a conversation and you can like Un- unmute yeah, other people. It's kind of like a podcast, but with a live audience, and you can bring audience members in. And, and and he's doing this, supposedly talking about like some basketball topic. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I, I don't know what prompted this. Apparently, he was being accused of being racist. But he then talks about how he owns one of the largest Martin Luther King memorabilia collections in the world and has signed artifacts. And then he started talking about the Rosa Parks stuff. He uh, Just a very bizarre moment. Like, I, I, I don't really know how to explain it other than just to quote what he said. I, had, I have one of the largest collections of Martin Luther King memorabilia in the world. And I also have signed, he said like he had a signed Rosa Parks NAACP card. Just very, like, or can we fact check this? Like, does Darren Ravel, of all people, actually have this robust collection of MLK and Rosa Parks memorabilia? And if so, where did it come from? Like, this, take it away, Matias, because you said this was yours too. I mean, I don't even know where to start either, but he also did the classic, some of my closest friends 
uh, are black, which is, you know, the the the, <laughs> the most <laughs> classic defense. <laughs> And I don't know where the like where this stemmed from or why he was being accused of being racist. I I can't comment on that. But just this this in isolation. Mm. No, I don't. I can't find the origin either. But what's funny is you say that thing about the Twitter space, but it wasn't even his. the The Twitter space was actually a Miami Hurricanes like talk <laughs> Twitter space <laughs> that they do every Monday. It's just Canes fans. Um, and then he jumped in because I, I think they were coming at him like on Twitter itself. Uh, and then he jumped in and then he started name dropping that he has this collection. Um, <laughs> and it was funny, Kevin Clark, who works for the Kevin Ringer. Clark. Yeah, he, he, I think he's from Miami. He definitely went to UM, um, the university of Miami. Um, it was funny. He, he just tweeted like, I was just trying to talk about the hurricanes and here comes Darren Ravel trying to explain himself with this MLK collection on MLK day. Um, just, just the weirdest, like, and I don't like talking about Darren Ravel because I think he's a loser, man. I do, I do not <laughs> like him. I've never liked him. I don't know how or why he got famous, but it, here we are. But th- this happens like very often that he's in these, in these weird situations where he has to defend himself um and then he says some dumb stuff that gets him into even more trouble it's it's a it's something to behold really the, I'm, i forgot the best quote because worse th- or more funny than the memorabilia collection is when he drops the line quote i'm a humongous fan of what he's done talking about martin luther king jr <laughs> yeah i forgot about that one too I'm a humongous fan of what he's done. So awkward. Like everything he says, like in this is like it. I don't know if he's like an expert level troll or if he's <laughs> just like that socially unaware. Cause it's like the things he's saying, like if you, if somebody wasn't speaking them out loud and they were thinking them, it'd be like, okay, like I get why that happened. It's like, you know, you support, you know, you appreciate civil rights activists and like the movements is like, but like when it comes out of his mouth, it's like, I really like what uh, Martin Luther King has done. It's like, yeah, like, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but like, and then like always like, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Don't say I have a bunch of black friends to defend yourself. Like, it's so <laughs> weird. Like, that's such a like. It's like I don't think anybody's ever used that, and everybody's been like, "Oh, my apologies, sir." Like I didn't realize. Like, and then backed off. It's such and like the memorabilia stuff is all weird. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm trying. Um, well, I'm trying to think of like who's someone that's like obviously you know Martin Luther King at a very high level with with what he did for for civil rights and everything, but like who's just like a random like very charitable person it's just like. Yes, I'm a big fan of what he's done. Like, well, no, you know, no bleep. You're a fan of what he's done. It's yeah, sad. it'd be like if you had like a signed like. So, well, I guess people do this like from the Pope or like Mother Teresa, but like there's not like a like a bunch of trading cards that you're like. Uh, I have a first edition Mother Teresa, so yeah, like, and it's signed, I'm a big so. Albert Einstein stan, you know. <laughs> yeah, like George it's Washington, it's like I'm a big fan of his political impact. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm really proud of uh, the fact that he made America. I, I'm, I feel <laughs> yeah. like I feel like he did. Like I feel like that's too simplified, and people are going to try to roast me. Uh, understand? I do not care. Um, 
All right. Before I expose my ignorance any further, I'm going to start mine. <laughs> uh, so Eldon English brought this to our attention as a group. And I thought it was, I, I'd commented on it like I always do because I'm a sucker for it. But Michael Fabiano said, sent out a tweet on, I think it was Saturday or maybe a Sunday. It said, uh, if the NFL wants to make even more money, bring back the Houston Oilers uniforms. The Titans won't bring them back, obviously, but give it to the Texans. Talk about something for the fan base to get excited about. I saw and, like, that. It, it makes my skin crawl because it's like, and I like responded with like a picture of Chris Johnson wearing the Oilers throwbacks and be like, yeah, the Titans would never wear the Oilers stuff. Like it, it's so, and, and I was like, I said, by the same token, Jacksonville should wear these. Like, because like they're equally not the Oilers. Like, it's so, so stupid. Like, understand that we, every Titans fan likes Oiler throwbacks. We all want Oiler throwbacks. The NFL has a stupid rule where. Which ends this year. This is the last year of that rule. Yeah, which ends this year. And I think they have to apply for helmets or throwbacks at different times or something. The fact that there's not an oil Derrick Henry, like some combination of those words or something, like is insane to me because that's what the little oil rig is called, in case you don't know. Um, but yeah, like a hundred percent, the Titans are gonna want, like, gonna want to do that. So it's just, it's so stupid. And I'm sure it was just for retweets and attention. And I'm sure it's just to rile Titans and Texans fans up. And it worked because it made me furious. Uh, so uh, just. Everybody that continues to say, like, well, why don't the Titans do the throwbacks? Like, we all want them. We're trying. The NFL is a stupid rule that only applies to some teams sometimes. And it, it's it took forever just to prove that Amy Adams Strunk was allowed to own the Titans. Like, uh, we're doing everything we can. I mean, this, this argument has got to end. Warren Moon said the Titans get to wear the Oilers throwbacks. Warren Moon, who okay, has his name in the Titans' ring of honor. The Titans had an Euler day before the Colts game in week two. Like, this, it's it's over. It's done. This argument, there's no more sides to be heard. It's it, it's so stupid. Like, we are, we're the Oilers. <laughs> like, it's the same franchise. Nothing... Nothing. The only thing that changed was the name and, and where you play, but it's the same franchise. All the same stats count. You know, the history is still there. Um, it's so weird that people just can't grasp that concept. Like the Houston Texans are a completely new team. Their history started when they were an expansion team in what was it, two thousand two or whatever. Like it's a completely different franchise. It's it's so weird that people just do not uh, understand this concept. And like, I, and like I, I know Cleveland moved. I know that when the Titans put Oilers stuff in the team shop, it sold like nobody's business. Yeah, and like when Cleveland moved to Baltimore, like that you don't get like Balt. Uh, I, I just don't. It's so crazy to me. I don't understand. Like, it's I, I'm I'm not gonna go over it again because I'm just gonna spiral about the whole like uh, thing I came up with where it was like. Uh, it's like if somebody else, it's like if you move houses and somebody else, but you leave pictures of your family, it doesn't make them your family just because you move into that house. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I hate it. That's going to do it for us on Saturday. Titans versus Bengals, 3.30 Central Time, 4.30 Eastern Time. 
I'm fired up, Will. You're going to be there, right? That is correct. I will be there as well. I'm very excited. It's going to be loud. It's going to be rocking. Can't wait. See you guys Saturday. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.